0: Hey everybody, thank you for joining us for today's episode of Real Estate Disruptors. Today we've got my good buddy Sam Prim with Faster Freedom. He flew in from St. Louis, Missouri to talk about how he built a $20 million portfolio without using a single dollar of his own money. If this is your first time tuning in, I'm Steve Trang, sales trainer for some of the top wholesalers in the country, and I'm on a mission to create 100 millionaires. Question I get all the time is how to become one of the 100 millionaires. The information on this podcast alone is enough to help you become a millionaire in the next five to seven years if you will take consistent action. If you wanna get there faster, please send me a DM on Instagram and we'll see if we can help you get there. Uh, If you get value out of the show, please tag her from below, share this episode right now, that way we can all grow together. And this is a live show, so please ask your questions for Sam to answer. You ready?
1: Yeah, that was hard for me not to interrupt you, you did good.
0: (laughs) Thank you, thank you. All right, so first question is, what got you into real estate?
1: So I had a, a full-time job I'm out of school and, and was making pretty good money, but I kind of looked ahead and it wasn't going to be enough for me in general. I, I wasn't going to be able to create enough wealth. I kind of want to make an impact and, and be able to impact my family for generations, and it's impossible to do that, work for somebody else, and real estate was the, the next best thing that I saw that creates wealth and creates millionaires, so I decided to get into it.
0: So you went to college? Yep. Graduated? Yep. When did you graduate?
1: Uh, 2011.
0: 2011. So you're a youngin'. Mm-hmm. Uh, you go and get your regular W-2 job like you're supposed to. Mm-hmm. Worked your way up the corporate ladder?
1: Yep. Mm-hmm. That, that's what I was taught. My dad worked for the same company for 38 years. That's kind of the thing I was going to do, right? That's what you're supposed to do. Your
0: dad worked for Caterpillar?
1: He did not. He worked for Boeing,
0: actually. And he worked for Boeing. All right. So but oh, you're supposed to work at one company forever. Mm-hmm. Got it. Okay. So you work there. You work your way up in sales. and. Yep. what were you doing at at caterpillar
1: yeah so i started out selling construction equipment just selling and then did pretty well and then got moved up to sales manager so i was kind of in charge of the western region of missouri so i had 15 sales guys um, underneath me that were, you know, you full, had
0: 15 sales guys working uh,
1: underneath you. All 45 to like 55, all, all a lot older than me. I was 25 at the time. Um, how just, was that dynamic? It was pretty good because I, you know, what not a micromanager and just, you know, if they do their job, I'll, you know, you kind of lay off them. They're, it's spread out. So it's not like I was in their office every day, just kind of slowly went and visited them and kind of helped them where I could, help them get support from Caterpillar, you know, kind of just almost a liaison, just helping them do their thing. I'm not going to tell them how to sell. They've been selling longer than I had. <laughs>
0: But there must have been something that management saw in you put a younger person in charge of all these Much older folks people. that are old enough to be your dad.
1: Yeah, no they, yeah, they were um, I just had done pretty well in you know I had I had the degree that helped I had a master's degree and then I was doing pretty well in the sales You know I took my territory when I took over was like three or four million mm-hmm. and then I was doing like 10 or 12 million a year so I like you know Double, tripled or quadrupled sales. And then, you know, they could tell by all our systems and everything that I was organized and, you know, kind of a little bit more organized as a sales guy as opposed to some good sales guys, right, are all over the place. You know better than I do. And organization. <laughs> no, it's for suckers. Yeah, and, and keeping, <laughs> yeah, and ke- exactly. So the fact that I kind of did all that, I think they were like, well, he can, you know, be organized organized enough to, to manage them. So. What was
0: your master's degree in? Uh, just MBA with emphasis in marketing, so. All right, so you're moving up, you're doing really well. Uh, how long did you stay at Caterpillar?
1: Um, from 2011
0: to 2018, so seven years. Seven years. Mm-hmm. Man, it wasn't even that long ago that you quit. In 2018, yep, correct. Okay, so I think what's really interesting here, and I really want to emphasize this, how much did you make when you quit? How much were uh, you making a year when you quit? $250,000. Uh, $250,000. $250, mm-hmm. What was going through your mind to say that this is not enough to create wealth?
1: Because I kind of like just did the simple math in my head you know i was actually was making a couple hundred thousand at, at a year at 25 so i'll work till i'm 55 retire early i'll have you know several million in a 401k or an ira and then i'll have a good retirement and then my daughter i'll she'll get 2 or 3 million when i you know move on but that wasn't like enough for me i wanted to do more like i want to own a 100 million in, i'm going to own 100 million in real estate in the next yeah. 5 years and i'm going to make 5 10 times that you know and just keep doubling 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 so i just I don't know what the word is, but I just wanted more. I wanted to create a bigger impact and even making a lot of money working for a good company like Caterpillar at, you know, the job that you like just doesn't do it. It just simply doesn't do it.
0: What gave you the confidence that you can do better than $250,000 a year?
1: Stupidity, probably, Um, (laughs) ignorance, vanity, I don't know. Um, Probably just, you know, I'd been investing in real estate for the past three or four years before that. So I had started already doing it. We, okay, guys, so you're you, down that road. Yeah, I was already down that road. Me and my business partner, Lucas, we had probably 25 rentals and we had, you know, done probably 10 wholesales and done, you know, probably 30 flips. So I had experience and knew the possibilities. And then that was all on the side. So what, you know, what would happen if I focused an entire day
0: on growing real estate? So you had something to not necessarily parlay, but kind of evaluate your decision.
1: Correct. It was kind of strategic at the right time. We had a couple wholesales in escrow. We had you know a couple flips getting ready to go. So it was it was kind of the right time to do it and make that leap because that was eventually what I wanted to do. It was sooner than I thought, but it was the right time. I don't I don't suggest people quitting their job and just going full full at it. You know? Yeah. Because
0: I'm thinking right now timeline. Because your daughter is like 5 Mm-hmm. So you already had you're already married and a child when you quit. Yeah, she was, I guess, like one and a half or two.
1: Yeah, Yeah, and I just put in a pool, like all this, like it wasn't the most ideal time in my life, but it was the most ideal time in my life.
0: So who was in your ear trying to tell you, like, Sam, what are you thinking?
1: Uh, I mean, a lot of people. I mean, a lot of people, you know, my friends and family knew the job I had, and they were, you know, all of that mindset of, you have an incredible job. Don't screw this up. Your setup that was, I was the vice president. Um, I was who I reported to as sales. And like that was kind of where they were pigeonholing me to go. But just going to that office all day, every day for, you know, eight, 10 hours a day just wasn't fun for me. I was making the company. I think the the profit the company was making was probably seven or eight million. And I was bringing home, you know, a good chunk of it, but wasn't, you know, wasn't, wasn't adding yeah. up. The way
0: I always describe that is kind of like soul sucking. Mm hmm. Um, what were your parents saying?
1: Um, they were as supportive as they could be. That was made them very uncomfortable because our, our first private lender was a family friend and that made him extremely uncomfortable and just mixing business and family and all that, that, that wasn't, you know, they were, they're extremely supportive parents, but mom's a teacher, dad's an engineer, like the most, prototypical like childhood you could have, right? Mm-hmm. Happy, you know, everything. But that just, it was definitely veered away from the path that they, I think they envisioned for me. They were supportive as they could be. I did hear, my mom told me like uh, a year after I, I quit was, my dad was, he's gonna be living in our basement one of these days. <laughs> so he, he didn't tell me that though, but um, overall, yeah. I mean, they were supportive as they could so be. They, I, they, I could they tell. So they supported it even though they didn't necessarily have full faith. I could tell they weren't very excited about it, but they, they were supportive as they could be.
0: Yeah, and the only reason why I wanna uh push on this is because there are a lot of people with jobs and they're like you know when's the right time to quit should i quit i remember when i quit intel i had so many people saying like i wish i was in your position but i can't quit my job because i have a wife and kids and that's the reason why i can't do this Mm -hmm. clearly that was not what was going through your head
1: no and and honestly the the older you know people that worked at you know the, the favorite caterpillar i worked were like lucky i wish i was 20 years younger and did what you did and it was kind of the people my age or younger that were like you're an idiot for quitting but (laughs) the older people like you don't want to be doing this for the next 30 years like i'm getting ready to retire and yeah yeah (laughs) get out yeah so yeah it it was definitely risky i think it it shocked a lot of people my my boss cried a little bit when i told him i was quitting um so i asked him i said do you play baseball he said not anymore i said can you hit a curveball because i got a curveball for you and then i told him and started coming out
0: all right, so um, you already had a track record. So mm-hmm. then, let's talk about your first real estate deal.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, so first deal was just uh, a rental property. I didn't know about we're not. I'm, I don't know if we're gonna get into details. I didn't know about cash out refinance at the time. So I thought you had to put twenty percent down on every rental. So we borrowed money from a private lender to flip a house, and I was going to take that profit and put 20% down on a rental. So I kind of thought you had to flip a house, then a rental, flip a house, then a rental. But during the rehab process, um, learned, went to a local meetup and learned about, you know, the Burr method and 8% cash out refinances. And the property was a perfect rental. So we ended up just keeping it. And then I think we did one that first You're year.
0: You were 50-50 with Lucas yep, from day one.
1: Mm-hmm, yep, 50-50 from day one still to this day, yeah. So one property that first year, I think, and then maybe three the next year. So, I mean, 99% of what I've done has really all been the last three, four years. So we kind of started out slow, then built momentum and quit at the Got
0: right it. time. How did you find that first deal?
1: Um, it was uh, Lucas's m- mother-in-law was a real estate agent and just REO property, you know, it was a bank owned property, it was 2015-ish and they were, they were out there a little bit. So we just probably looked
0: at 30 properties and finally found that worked and you bought it deep enough that you can do the BRR. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, for those listening, because we talk a lot about wholesale on on this channel, uh, what is a burr? So a burr is basically buying rental properties without putting
1: any of your own money without having to put 20% down. So you basically back into the 20% down, you buy a discounted house, you rehab it, you get it rented, then you take it to a bank, and they'll give you a long-term loan on a certain percentage of the value of the property. And if you bought it deep enough and rehabbed it, the value went up a lot. So there's enough equity in there for you to take a long-term note out. The bank will literally hand you a cashier's check. It's like cash. Mm-hmm. I know that because I threw away cashier's check a while ago and I did it and I had to pay like two <laughs> grand in insurance to like get the bank to give me the money back. But anyways, um, they literally hand you a cashier's check and then you pay back whoever you borrowed the money from. But now you have a mortgage on it, but it's a mortgage at you know three and a half percent over 25 years that is, yeah. is manageable that the tenant can pay for.
0: And is it your primary focus is uh, doing burrs or do you have other
1: yeah i mean the prime the whole reason i'm even doing the flipping company the education all that stuff is to just continue to support my rental portfolio that is the end goal for luke's and i is you know it was a hundred million when we retire now it's a hundred million in the next five years so just to grow that rental portfolio and obviously have other streams of income that help support that and support our active income and our so the focus life.
0: is predominantly build a portfolio do what we do whatever we got to do to build a portfolio, mm-hmm. and you guys are at 20 million today.
1: Yep, 21, but 20 is fine. Close enough.
0: We're gonna go with 20. 20 is perfect. <laughs> okay, so what were some of the struggles in in this endeavor?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's been nothing like crazy. I remember a few situations where we lose money on a deal. We lost, you know, when we each had full-time jobs. Thankfully, we lost like 30 grand on a couple deals, you know. But we, you know, flip. I think 15 houses in 2016 and. Couple of them we lost money on. I remember one of our very first deals we bought a package of three houses and the bank didn't finance them for enough. So we had to sell one and take equity. So nothing major crazy happened. I think that's part of the benefit of having a partner that you work well with. You can mm-hmm. kind of check each other. Um nothing major, no like huge struggles, just you know, little things here or there that just you know we've been able to push through. Tell me about that deal that you lost thirty K on. Oh, so yeah so we're idiots so it was a, it was at the house the neighborhood was a, a two hundred thousand dollar neighborhood all day at the most and we took this we bought this house had a bunch of foundation issues um we got them fixed we took pictures we weren't hiding anything but it looked ugly we got lifetime warranties so we decided to finish out the basement so it was four bed three bath upstairs and we added two bedrooms and a bathroom and redid the whole basement and put like 50 grand in the basement and we listed it at 249 in a 200 neighborhood and you know we had probably had like 215, 220 in it. And house in the
0: neighborhood. Yeah,
1: by far. And we had like two or three offers at asking and Mm -hmm. they fell through or the bank wouldn't fund it. And we ended up just, you know, selling it for like 220. So we beat the market, but we already, it didn't matter. We were
0: into it too much. So just, just
1: not really paying attention to that kind of stuff.
0: Well, I think that's a valuable lesson, right? For people that are listening is that you don't ever want to be the nicest house in the neighborhood. No. Yeah. Uh, and also, you know, like you guys were able to survive that cuz you guys already had multiple transactions mm-hmm. going on, but you know, for someone that's listening right now, a $30,000 kick in the nuts, that hurts. <laughs> might even be even hard. If you got to... a cup on. <laughs> yeah, so um and then you got your partners with Lucas. Mm-hmm. This was a friend from before real estate or what's that situation? Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. yeah, we were grew up together, kind of went to middle school together, played basketball together, played sports together went to high school went to college together just kind of always friends growing up we had a few side hustles that mm-hmm. we did throughout college um like some well i'll tell you one of them i can't tell you all of them but one of them like <laughs> painting uh, exteriors of houses you know we painted fences and decks and houses and um in the summer during college and stuff like that
0: i think we're past the statute of limitations i think you could <laughs> well we th-
1: well we, we we tried to be bookies for a little bit um, it, uh, it it worked a little bit but i uh, yeah we just we took bets from all our friends and kept an sl sheet and it, it worked okay i don't sorry mom i don't know if she knows that but <laughs> she's watching um but it wasn't anything major operation but i just remember we had like a, a couple of bad weekends in a row we just texted everybody we're done <laughs> even though if we have stuck with it but yeah so we tried that so we're always looking for an angle always looking for
0: the next hustle mm-hmm. any major struggles you know any point where you felt like crap what are we doing uh in your journey on on, on building your portfolio
1: yeah at the beginning that one i told you about so we bought three houses one of them was a great deal and there was like two stinker houses that were like in in not very good areas and we're just like all right we got this really good one and that one worked out pretty well but those two houses we took to the bank to do that refinance i talked about and we were like this was like pretty early on we were like eight grand short on each so in order to close we had to come to the table with sixteen thousand dollars and we didn't have it i literally remember texting lucas like you know because i had he had he was an engineer did pretty well but he let, he wanted out of his job like tomorrow he hated his job and I was had a good job and liked it and I was like well, this was fun real estate thing but we're gonna you know this can't be doing this kind of stuff and he ended up kind of talking me off the ledge and like I said we ended up selling one kind of for break even and taking equity out of another property to to make it work but I just remember being like you know
0: were you still employed at that one at yeah that time? oh yeah yeah that okay. was that was early on so you bought a portfolio of three. And one was amazing. Other two, not so amazing. Mm-hmm. And that was enough for you like to get discouraged.
1: Well, because I still had kind of people chirping that, you know, what are you doing? You have this great job like you're doing. You're spending evenings and weekends and all your free time, you know, 10 hours Saturday, 10 hours Sunday. I didn't have a daughter yet. Um, you know, my wife would come out with me and, and do stuff sometimes, but was leaving her at home a lot to do it. Like, what are you doing? Like, you know, all these people were telling me. You have this incredible job, you have this path in front of you. A great why are you comp- wasting your time? Yeah, on why this? are you wasting your time doing this? So I kinda had that in the back of my mind. But I was Luke's always been like the pusher to push through kind of mm-hmm. thing. And I was at especially at that time, I was like, I don't know that I want to keep going with this. And, you know, we talked and he kind of convinced me that, yeah, let's we can make this work. You know, real estate, you have so many options to make things work and ended up, like I said, making it work and, and kept going.
0: Got it. So has it been An easy path this whole time, as far as the birds. I mean, with the exception of those two situations, right? Like this, you you had this vision of doing a hundred or building a hundred million dollar portfolio. Has it been pretty smooth and seamless along the way? It really has been pretty smooth and seamless. We're fortunate enough from like
1: 2014 15 to now. The market's been insane. So even if you don't really buy it exactly right, you know, if it's a four or five month rehab, it took longer than you thought. the house went up ten percent in value, or eight mm-hmm. percent, whatever it was. So, um, yeah, it's really been pretty smooth because I feel like we're we're crazy. We like to buy everything we can, but the numbers got to make sense. Like everything cash flows on paper to two hundred fifty bucks a month. We're buying it, you know, less than market value minus repairs. So overall, our, our portfolio is really, really strong, and we haven't really had too many hiccups. I mean, we we pulled out a couple million in equity in the last um, couple years, and that just kind of shows that we've been able to buy, you know, deep enough that banks will equity out and give us money
0: so got it were there any surprises in in doing the birth you know because you can read on bigger pockets you can see you know TikTok. tick tock yeah, TikTok, youtube is, oh yeah we talked about it. Yeah. There's, there's places to learn about all that but was there anything that you learned in doing this that was not being discussed or maybe like you know once you get behind the curtains it's not as easy as they make it look yeah the, i mean the biggest thing is that property management part of it Yeah. Um,
1: you know just getting good tenants because that's you can screw it all up with a bad tenant the most expensive part about owning a property is turnover 100 percent so if you have turnover you know i have to evict you know eight months in or you have turnover every year you're, you're not going to cash flow because even if tenants take care of the property there's deferred maintenance you need to take care of you got to clean it you're not collecting rent when there's nobody in there so Um, managing tenants and getting good tenants in like now our average tenant stays about four years you know our younger portfolio but wow four years yeah and then yeah that's um, awesome brian who you know uh, kind of our mentor his average tenants there for six years so if once or twice a decade you're doing a turn as opposed to every year um and that all goes to you know screening good tenants because i'm like all right i got a million other things going all right that looks good that looks good (laughs) approve them you gotta call those landlords. You have to, you know, do their. You know, look in their bank statements and see their spending habits. You gotta check their credit. You got all that kind of stuff that you know we weren't really doing at first. And Sam's doing all that. I was not. I, I was. I was kind of given the final <laughs> approval there for a while, but obviously not. I haven't even looked at an app in four years
0: now. So, so who's doing that for you? Uh, Courtney, our our office manager does all that, of course. Yeah. Um. One thing that, that a theory I've got, mm-hmm. uh, especially you know we're in collective genius together, mm-hmm. so I got to hang out with Brian uh, Higgins, Alex Moses, Mark Delatorre. Uh, Nathan Brooks, all these other guys that are just crushing it in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. And I've got this theory that because of Burr, it's a lot easier to create wealth in the Midwest than it is in Phoenix, LA, or some of these other higher price areas. What are your thoughts?
1: 100% agree. It's a lot easier to create wealth in the Midwest. I think it's easier to get rich in Arizona because you're getting forty, fifty dollars $50,000 wholesales Shh. left and right, not you, just in general. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you, um, but like, you know, our, our average wholesale, I feel like we're very, very good companies, more like 15,000. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you're not getting rich as we'll call it as, as much or not make as much active income, but where wealth is created is, is long-term with owning rental properties. So yeah, I agree hundred percent. Creating wealth is is very, very, I don't call it easy, but it's a lot more easy in the Midwest because you got just got to gotta latch on to real estate. Properties go up in value tenants pay the mortgage down, and you get cash flow, like that works out perfect in the Midwest. It's a cookie cutter for that. The laws are good, you know, a lot of working class, you know, people in in Missouri, I think 71% of people own houses. So rentals are kind of at a premium because there's not as many of them. So yeah,
0: it's a a really good market, I 100% agree. So in your opinion, you can get larger chunks of cash, wholesaling, flipping, in other markets in the Midwest because you can buy properties that you can, keep Mm -hmm. that's how we're generating wealth. yep that to me
1: yeah wealth is with rental properties and making a lot of active income is more the flips and wholesales which you know out here is pretty good obviously it crashes a little a little harder the midwest (laughs) too right you're getting a lot bigger waves on the coast and here midwest is pretty steady you get occasional dips but but house goes down ten percent in a couple of years, that'd be really, really bad. As opposed to out here, it's what every other Tuesday or something.
0: No, not that bad. But the but. depreciation also helps. Yeah. Can yeah. you can you explain for those that don't understand the advantages of depreciation? Depreciation. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So depreciation basically, you know, is just you're just taking you're writing off a percentage of what the property's worth over time. So it's a beautiful thing with rentals because we make two to three hundred dollars a month per rental property, net, net, net cash, and we're able to write off two to $300 a month, um, you know, per property. So basically you're taking a percentage of what the property's worth and you're able to write that off every single month and every single year so that if you're cash flowing
0: a little bit, you're not paying any taxes on the cash flow. So it's a good thing. So you're basically, as far as the IRS is concerned, you're not making money. You're Correct. at zero. But in reality, your cash balances are growing pretty healthily. A hundred percent. Yep. And yeah,
1: Yep, and it's all I mean you're just pushing it off to a future date, but it's still, you know, what what most people do.
0: And there's also that element of a cash out refi. mm mm-hmm. yes. pretty nice. Yeah, if we you buy a good no deal.
1: Yeah, we I mean, and you can do your whole portfolio. So we've taken advantage of this this crazy market. Uh about two months ago we did a $1.4 million cash out refinance. 1400000 million tax-free or tax deferred However, everyone look at, pay zero taxes on our 2021 tax return because the market's gone up in value, our tenants have paid a mortgage down, so we have millions in equity. Let's take a million and a half of that and pay off houses, which we did, so we can have you know some security there, put some in the bank, and then pay off some lenders. So there's just so much value that goes into owning rental properties over a short or long period of time that uh, it's, in my opinion,
0: the only way to actually create long-term wealth. So you're able to pull out 1.4 million in equity, mm-hmm. put it basically in your pockets mm-hmm. without paying Uncle Sam a dime. Not one dime. Yeah. That's That's the
1: power of real estate. Yeah, I mean, so eventually down the line, like I said, you'll have to pay taxes on it, or you can ten thirty one it, or whatever it is. But the whole goal is, I'm gonna hopefully make more money every single year. So if I'm kind of deferring taxes to if and when I do have to pay them, I'll be making more, so it won't be as big of a hit, kind of thing. So.
0: Yeah, and I'm slowly learning. um, You know, this is a completely aside point, but I'm slowly learning. Like the ultra wealthy don't have income, (laughs) right? They just wait for things to appreciate, take out loans. 100% right. Yeah, Yeah. so it's incredible. So I'm obviously, you're aware, I'm I'm trying to do this in Oklahoma, Mm -hmm. right? So you're gonna take me under your wings, right? And I wanna build out this $100 million portfolio like you. Let's go. What's the first thing I do?
1: The first thing you do is, I'm sure you're already kind of doing this, is you have to make local connections. So there's two things that I think you have to do when we wanna get started. One is you have to make local connections and it's, you know, virtual for you, which a lot of people invest virtually, especially on the West Coast, so there's no problem with that. But you have to get to know people in your market. Everyone thinks they can do it on their own. You have to know people to buy houses from, sell houses to, contractors, lenders, all those people. So you have to get to know your local real estate investors either where you're investing when you live or where you're investing. So joining the Facebook groups, the meetups, all that stuff is a must, like you have to do that. And then the other thing is, you know this, as good or better, and I do, you need to get some kind of mentor. Mm-hmm. Like, why wouldn't you, you know, take the path of least resistance that somebody else has already laid out for you? Literally, don't do this, do this, don't do this, do this. All right, you just save 40 grand. Like, why wouldn't you do that? You know, so just leaning on other people
0: that have been there and then getting
1: to know your local market, and you will be miles ahead of your competition.
0: Got it. So, are you buying directly from sellers or are you buying from your network or both?
1: Both. Yeah. So, both. So, um, you know, as far as the rental properties, we're buying pretty much all of them from our flipping company. But as far as our flipping company goes, you know, we talked earlier, I think we'll do about 230 houses this year. And I think like 130, 140 of them are gonna be from
0: our network. No dollars in marketing 130 spend. 130 to 140 flips will come from network.
1: From zero dollars in marketing spend. And then the That's other powerful. 100
0: or so will come from marketing and direct to seller, like you mentioned, so. so about 50, 60% is coming from people you know in your community, whether from RIAs, or I guess, how are you connecting them?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it's other wholesalers um, that you know need somebody that has money to come because they're in a pinch, or real estate agents. We have four full-time buyers, and they spend, they're supposed to be spending half their time out there meeting real estate agents, meeting other wholesalers, mold remediators, elder law attorneys we buy five houses you year from a bowling alley owner. There's just so many different, what? <laughs> yeah. Name's Ben, He's, he owns like a small like, you know, kind of like hole in the walls, a bad way. Say so it's a nice bowling alley, but a small bowling alley. Well, the bowling alley, it says Ben buys houses. And ah. Ben doesn't buy houses, we buy houses, but when he drinks with the people in the league and you know, you get to know, if you're talking to somebody that knows a lot of people, insurance agent, bowling alley owner that's like actively involved, life happens to people like yeah. your parents have to move into assisted care facility somebody passes away somebody gets foreclosed on they talk and he hears it and he says you know see above the bowling alley i'll come by and then he just calls us and we go on the appointment with him and we buy we pay him five grand um and we get the house where we need to so it just there's just if you got to open your eyes to get in contact with people that are in contact with a lot of different people. You just need to be there at the right time when usually, unfortunately, a situation happens where they have to sell their house quickly at a discount. But you're helping people out. You know that, you do wholesaling. Like we have people crying at the closing table because they're so happy, hugging, giving us great reviews. It's
0: filling a need is buying these houses. Um, Absolutely. So Uh, so you're not the only player in St. Louis. Mm -mm. In fact, I think there are multiple players doing what you're doing in St. Louis. Mm why would a wholesaler sell it to you?
1: Well, there's, you know, we don't get all of them either. So, but the main, the the biggest reason I think they do it is because our brand is pretty strong. You know, we're better business. We have a lot of really good Google reviews. We have systems to get um to get, you know, reviews after the fact. We have the most, you know, five star Google reviews. And people look at that kind of stuff. People mm-hmm. look at Better Business Bureau. They look at the reviews. We get talked about all the time that, you know, I looked at your reviews and that's why I called you or that's why I went with you. And then also we have a, a killer sales team that gets good training from this guy. I mean, honestly that, you know, we're, I would say maybe 60% of the time we're the highest, the highest offer, but the other 40% we're not even the highest. We just understand what the pain point is, which is, you know, obviously a lot of what you teach is solving that problem. Yeah. It could be, I have a bunch of stuff in my house that I don't want to get out. Okay, just leave it there. What you know, whatever it may be, or I want to live in the house for two weeks after to get you know some stuff out. And like we're like, okay, you know, you sign this legal document saying you'll be out after two weeks. All this eviction stuff aside, you'll be out after two weeks, and legally we can you know get them out. So just figuring out what the solution is and not just saying like here's the offer, see you kind of thing. So there's a yeah. lot that goes
0: into that. Yeah, a lot of connecting. Uh, so then I heard you say that direct the seller or buy from other wholesalers, you're buying it into your flipping company.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What's your flipping company?
1: Flipping company is Faster House. So mm-hmm.
0: that that's the company
1: that like we talked that, you know, we're gonna do a couple hundred deals this year, wholesale majority of them, flip the other ones. And every rental that I add, uh, Luke's and I add, we're buying from Faster House. So we're not getting them at, at you know, rock bottom prices, we're marking them up to whatever we, the reasonable amount is and then buying them from the company. So it's kind of supporting our active income in that company as well as our long-term vision.
0: So your source of deal, regardless of source, goes to the construction company and a construction gets paid its proper fee, mm-hmm. like they're making what they're supposed to make.
1: I mean, if anything, we pay more than the guys. We, I mean, ask, I'm not just <laughs> saying, ask, ask the guys, because I don't mind, we're at a position in our company and our business, I don't mind, you know, not burring out exactly if I have to come out of pocket a couple thousand bucks mm-hmm. on the refinance, I feel like i'm going to make 150 200 000 on that rental over the next 20 years yeah. so i don't mind that as opposed to a lot of people on our team are growing rentals and doing that and almost everybody on our team is growing rentals by the way we have over That's 500 awesome. over 500 doors on our team of people growing rental portfolios so That's we really cool we want those people to grow their rental portfolios but they're not always in that position they need to get all their money back or would like to so yeah we we pay we pay very fair prices
0: steve they right, so for the money. owners doesn't mean we get a deal. Well, but I think that's something that a lot of people overlook, because mm-hmm. they're like, well, it's my company, I don't have to pay it whole. But then if you don't, then that company's not profitable, now you're having issues paying wages. So I love that you're paying your company its full rate or more to keep it sustained and having to worry and having this additional stress.
1: Well, yeah, that company's got like 25 employees, so we really want definitely. that's the biggest one of the, all the companies, so that's yeah. one we want to support. And then you buy from them um, at full, full
0: rate or what's yeah, what?
1: Yeah, it's discounted, but it's, you know, a kind of up to that, that max discount, you know, that up
0: to that 80% what you can of, What you can pay. Mm-hmm. Now, you said that there's 500 doors at your company besides you? Yeah, including Lucas and I, so including, including so, our 167. Uh, so your team's got how many?
1: So Lucas and I have 167. The other owner, I think, you know, Brian of Faster House, he has like 120, so the rest are owned by the team. So
0: it is that couple hundred? 200, yeah, yeah 200 so something. your team has 200 mm-hmm. doors. Yep. And we talk about retention and culture. How has that helped you? It's it's incredible. It's all about culture. That's that's the biggest
1: thing about our companies that I feel is our biggest strength is the culture, and that's just the mindset of abundance, which I think we'll talk about later, because I know what you're going to ask me later. But anyways, um, that having that mindset of abundance, we're all trying to grow rentals, and a great deal comes across the pipeline, right? Mm-hmm. And we, everybody wants it. But, you know, so there could be a few people, you know, that miss out on it or, you know, get butt hurt because they don't get it. But everybody knows there's another deal coming down the line. And it it really is true that everybody is okay with everybody else growing. So it's a huge advantage that we all have that. And we it's a bonus to the people that walk through the door and that our employees, they're getting access to all these deals. We we try to sell them in-house first and then sell them out. So, you know. Uh, probably power 30 40 percent of the houses don't even see the streets Our us or our team buys wow. them and they pay fair prices and we're kind of almost our own kind of ecosystem there in the building so um and how long then, have you been doing that about three years now okay so since you've done that what's the turnover been like not very i mean i don't think anybody's left on their own that hasn't either been forced out or kind of hey <laughs> nudged out, so it's been really, really good. And we're in fact, we're, we're we started a property management company. Lucas, myself, and Brian managing our rentals, and we're getting ready to start managing our team's rentals. So we're not going to manage for outside people, but it's a huge benefit for being a part of our team. Is we have really, really good property management. We'll manage it for you um, if they're going to grow rentals. So they're why wouldn't they buy rentals? Which is what we want. We got the sources to them. We got the funding too, and then we'll manage them after the fact. So um, our goal is to have
0: everybody keep growing their rental portfolios. I love it. And that's something that we we want to push as well. It's not, we're not pushing it as well in Phoenix, but that's something that we're actively working on going to Oklahoma and so on. The abundance component. Can you talk about that? Yeah.
1: It's just one of our, one of our core values is having that mindset of abundance. And it's not just something you talk about. It's something we hire by for sure. And it's something you unfortunately sometimes have to fire by people that don't have that mindset of abundance because if everybody has it, then it's kind of just a, like, not get two. it's not like, it's pretty harmonious, not hippie environment, but kind of like, everything's okay, there's no pressure, there's none of that, everybody's just, all right, okay, well I'll get the next one, kind of thing, as opposed to one or two people kind of trying to stab somebody in the back or, or go around system. And, and do that, that's pretty apparent when those people are there, and it's pretty easy to spot them, because yeah. it's not
0: like half and half, you know, half people doing this, that, so it's pretty, pretty easy to spot those people. Got it, and then at some point, you, grew a bunch of social media followers (laughs) what was tell me about that journey
1: yeah um so you know we have our rentals we have the flipping company and then luke's and i are um you know part owners in both of those um and then we were both running the flipping company it was kind of we weren't tapping into our full potential so it's kind of like a divide and conquer thing education is obviously a great space to get into if, if you know what you're talking about so Lucas ran the flipping company faster house and the farther I get away from that company the more money they make so I'm good with that so (laughs) we were both running it together so he's crushing it you know they're record-breaking months every month and then you know I started growing a social media following just because I just wanted to do education and grow a brand that's all I really knew kind of started to just build the following just posting about what we're doing because there's Unfortunately, people that have done two bird deals and sell a bird course, and there's things like that. So you know, there's all that stuff out there. And I, you know, we, we, we we're would, not calling out any names. No, no names. <laughs> we'll do it after. But there's there were was, was so many people in that space that had done, and I don't feel like I'm very um, raggy or cocky at all. They had done like ten percent what I'd done, and they were selling all these courses and doing all this stuff. So it felt like a good space to get into if I was going to be actively investing. And so that's what we kind of did. And not like good as some of the people we talked about earlier, social media, I just post about what
0: I do and try to be authentic, and it seems to catch on at times for sure. Well, social media was kind of a a means to an end, a strategy. 100%. All right, so, um, Eric Brewer and I are gonna be uh, presenting in a few weeks, talking about the importance of social media. So, how about instead of me doing the presentation, why don't you just tell everyone? (laughs) Let's do it, you can take, you got the notes in the back to take, I mean,
1: so growing a brand is 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 everything i didn't realize this until i started to get into it but you used to have to have a camera and a a a tv station to grow a brand and become famous the kardashians are the perfect first example they don't do anything except live their daily lives but they have cameras in front of it now they're uber famous you can do it now though with your phone so having a brand is never going to be a bad thing i mean speaking to the crier with you but the more eyeballs you have the more influence you'll have and therefore the more money you'll make. And it just opens up so many possibilities. I'm sure you get it too. I get three or four different brands a week reaching out for me to do some type of paid advertising on TikTok or Instagram. And just having that following is only going to get more and more important. Directors are hiring actors. They're quoted hiring actors with bigger social media followings over their acting skills, because Mm -hmm. just having that brand is so important and it's just going to get more and more important going forward. So I, I... behind that for sure
0: yeah and i think uh, that was kind of what was fascinating like the rock right like he's not to take anything away from him as an actor but he said i want to be the highest paid male actor how am i gonna do this i'm gonna have the most instagram followers and he actively just pursued building out his instagram and now he's the highest paid male actor yeah i love him but
1: you're, he's not the most talented actor i mean no. he's i think he's pretty talented for the he plays his role well he's not like he's a horrible actor but right yeah, you're right. 100%. So it's just growing that brain is, is going to, I think it's going to be more and more apparent going forward and more and more important.
0: So why did you start with
1: TikTok? I Because I was wanting to grow my YouTube, um, my YouTube, you know, starting a few YouTube channels really hard at first, even if you kind of got really cool stuff to talk about. It's just really hard with, you know, there, it's just such a saturated space. The entire reason I started Instagram was to push people to, to, um, to youtube i think i started youtube in like february march of 2020 and it was slow going it was doing okay so then come summer june july of 2020 i started tiktok and uh a little bit easier not saturated space you can do a video quickly you don't need to edit it as much it's just much easier to do and uh yeah it just kind of started to gain traction and and kind of really really start to blow up and then i started instagram so now i'm kind of juggling all three yeah all three of
0: their space. But. Um, any tips for someone that's you know they're watching this right now and they're like, well, okay, I need to get you got 1.2, 1.3. Where are you at now? Uh, we're about 2,000
1: away from 1.2. I just looked. Okay. So we're
0: close <laughs> to be, uh, maybe about, maybe it'd be 1.2 by the time I pick my phone up. But right at that 1.2, yeah. yeah so 1.2. So any uh, recommendations for someone right now that they want to start the TikTok path? What, what would you recommend? do
1: it because just it's, it's going to be weird it's i still don't love it all the time nobody believes me i don't love having a camera in my face all the time but just do it and it's going to be weird it's going to be uncomfortable your first 10 videos are going to suck no one's going to watch them but this um this smart this smart Asian man who doesn't have much of a jumper told me one time that if it sucks nobody watches it so who cares
0: right, right? so don't you, worry about your feelings because no one cares yeah no, no one's watching one, it and
1: no one's watching it has got hundred views so only 100 people saw that it was not good the other <laughs> you know all the people didn't see it so yeah. um just do it and then you know tactical things are just you got to get their attention right away I would do shorter um, videos at first like I some of my bigger ones are 30 40 seconds but for my first 50 videos if I went back I would make them 20 seconds or less and just try to get people's attention right away and then just play with stuff they're not gonna not all of them are gonna blow up just just do it and I would what I did was everybody made fun of me for doing TikTok because they're like you know especially back then now it's definitely become a little more mainstream but um, I said I'm gonna make one video a day for 30 days and then if it does well I'm gonna keep going if it does I'm gonna stop it and then I think my fifth video got like 100,000 views which was insane for me because my YouTubes were getting 80 views 100 views so Mm -hmm. i get their
0: short views but they're still views so kind of got me hooked then awesome very cool and then along the way uh we started doing group texting Mm -hmm. me you kong and ryan Mm -hmm. so what has been your experience in 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 dealing with kong and ryan and and having to deal with me having to deal with you though you guys are all
1: i feel like uh very, very savvy entrepreneurs in your own way. And I feel like I learn a lot from all of you, just like, I feel like Ryan's so calculated. Everything is like, it seems like he's always like a step or two ahead, everything he does. I'm like, that's an incredible idea. Why didn't I think of that? And then you seemed like we talked earlier, have this vision and just like are going towards it no matter what, you're just plowing through. And then Kong, He's just a nut is what he is he's he he, i'm sure you too i text him like probably two or three times a week their voice messages because he's not the best at texting and he just screams at in the voice message just like he does on camera he's the exact same one off camera but and he's just fun and he gives tips on things and he's he's pretty strategical and calculated too you wouldn't maybe know that just when you see him yelling and screaming at people but um yeah you guys are all just uh just good entrepreneurs that i learned from and i'm just there like i said a million times for the you know just kind of get the
0: diversity in it yeah the token white guy is what the token said. white
1: guy i'll, I'll take it
0: <laughs> uh yeah and kong i think is very easy to underestimate mm-hmm. oh, right yeah. he doesn't seem like he's got a plan but he's got a plan yeah he knows exactly what he's executing
1: exactly what he is and he's efficient and he's very um you know he's very frugal as far as his spending like his his like profit to, to spend ratio, I'm sure is insane. He's, yeah. he's,
0: he's a very sharp business guy. Uh, so one thing that uh, we haven't talked about yet is um, other people's money, mm-hmm. right? Because we we're talking about building a portfolio without using any of your own money. Mm-hmm. So I want to go do this. How do I build a portfolio without using my money?
1: Yeah, so you're gonna need to obviously reach out to short-term and long-term lenders. Those are the two things, the two buckets, short-term and long-term. So short-term is gonna be private lenders, hard money lenders, your money, lines of credit you have, whatever that is, to get the property purchased at a discount, like we talked about with the Burr method. So funding it with other people's money, mm-hmm. funding the funding the initial purchase and rehab with other people's money, and then taking it to the bank long term, because banks don't want anything to do with a property that's not rented or lived in. They don't. They're not going to take a the risky. They're not going to take okay. a risk. They're just not going to take a risk on a house that needs thirty thousand dollars worth of work some of them like underwrite and and deny loans that you know have a couple inspection items missing from the county so you have to get that's so what it just opens up a space for that short term lending which is harder private money usually and then you take it to the bank for the long term so those short um, so those um you know small local banks are huge to work with you're not really going to probably have these big banks to work with at first but just getting other people's money and understanding how to leverage it like most people think I'm not borrowing money from anybody it's risky to it's risky to borrow money Paying cash, nobody gets wealthy paying cash for things unless they already have cash. That's just not how the world works. People don't think of it through like a business mindset. You think Amazon started out with cash? No, I guarantee you Bezos had millions and millions of dollars from angel investors. Facebook I know started out with angel investors. You have to take money from other people Mm -hmm. and deploy that money into assets that produce cash and grow in value. Then you take the cash that assets produces and you pay back the person you borrowed the money from. And if you did it right, there's cash flow left over and you get to ride the wave of that asset going up in value. So it's, it almost seems too good to be true. Like I'm borrowing money to buy something and what I bought is paying me every single month and I'm paying off the debt and I'm not the one paying it. And you get to take advantage of the ride. It, it's it's pretty phenomenal if you, if you can do it right.
0: How are you sourcing the private money?
1: Uh, uh, a bunch of different ways at first it was just like you know family friends or acquaintances and then it kind of went out to wow i see that you've done pretty good and it's like a family friend that somebody you've never met talk to that family friend and they're bragging about you know how much they've done how much money they've made you know off of you which is fine that's what it's got to be our our main private lender makes like 75 grand a year from doesn't interest me, just from meeting me and me and lucas four times a year and drinking too much Tito's. like that's all he does and just you know writes checks or transfers it so it's just one of those things that comes with time like everybody says i don't know anybody that has extra money well a you probably do if you texted everyone in your phone and didn't find it and you quit just go back to your job because you're not going to make it you got to mm-hmm. work harder than that to yell at people like Kong, I gotta keep screaming, but um you have, to, you have to work harder than that. And you have to talk about it all the time. Talk about it at parties, talk about it with your friends, talk about it at family gatherings that you're wanting to invest in real estate. You don't always have to ask for money. Money will find you. There's way more money sitting on the sideline than there are deals and it's not even close. Yeah. You just gotta find that money. And then worst case, just Google hard money lenders near me. They're there and they'll give you their money if it's a good
0: deal. So we've got the skill to find good deals. There are people with money that don't have our skill set. 100%. And they're the ones that want to help us.
1: And there's people that want to invest in real estate but don't want to do any of the work. They want to say that they invest in real estate so they'll write you a check to say that and then get a healthy
0: return on the other end. Exactly. Um, And then uh, this morning, um, you know, I'm getting ready for work. Just uh, having breakfast with the kids. So excited to talk to me, yeah. Super excited. And then I get a text from Corey Butright and he's like, hey, check out this article. And I'm clicking on it as a Business Insider article. What is that about?
1: yeah that was that was really really cool actually it's one of the cooler things um that's happened to me in the, in the education business is about a week and a half ago um layla is her name the uh one of the writers for uh business insider reached out to me on instagram she actually reached out on me to uh, reach out to me on instagram like a month and a half ago and said hey i'm thinking about maybe doing an article would you do one and i was like for sure and then it went cold so I was like i'm not going to keep bugging her and then she saw another one of my um one of my instagram posts and it caught her attention so it reminded her so she reached back out about a week week and a half ago um, we set up an interview Talked about everything I'd done. And she's like, that sounds cool, but I need proof. So I had to send her all my tax returns. I had to send her all the legal documents stating that I own the LLCs and then the documents stating that the LLC owned the property. So we talked a bit earlier. It was like, it wasn't one of those things where, like, okay, yes, let's do a five minute phone conversation. You own all this real estate. Cool. I'm going to post it. It was legitimate and verified along the way. So that, I mean, that's It was why almost
0: that, like a forensic audit.
1: Yeah, it was. It was. I mean, that's, I mean, that's why it's really cool to be in a legit publication because they do all that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. Um, So Cornerstone Renovations on YouTube wants to know, what type of loan do you use for Burris? He's got 10 loans under his name, so he's only able to get commercial loans, but they're short-term and not long-term loans.
1: Okay, yeah, so that, so yeah, he's he's 100% right. So you can get 10 loans in your personal name at residential rates, 30-year fixed, that's awesome. But after 10, you have to switch over to commercial loans which um, commercial loans are usually 20 to 25 year AMS, but they're gonna have a a three to five year Let's explain what AMS are. Um, So commercial loans are, are, so when you buy your um, personal house, you're gonna get a 30 year fixed amortization, meaning your house is gonna be paid off at the end of 30 years. With commercial loans, they don't quite have as good of terms, so your house is gonna be paid off after 20 years. So your payment's gonna be a little bit more because you're paying it off quicker, you're paying more every month. So it's not quite as good of terms, and then after three or five years they usually will say a balloon payment and they can adjust the rate at that point yeah. so it's just a little riskier i guess of a loan but it's also an asset that's paying you every single month your personal house most likely not paying you every single right. month you have to pay for it so um i would just talk to more banks um, because there's 100 small local banks that will let you do a longer term loan than that and press and push it out especially if you have 10 already you've already kind of proven the concept
0: Small local banks, the right ones, should fight over his business for sure. Absolutely, and I think um, we're talking about um, the amortization. One thing that's everyone's familiar with: a thirty-year amortization on their primary house. Mm-hmm. Another one to look at is when you're financing a car, right? Your payments are based to pay the car off in three years, five years, seven years. So that's what we're talking about yep. here. Uh, Ingrid Hernandez wants to know: Do you offer lease options? We
1: we do not actually, and there's no really reason for it just because it's this fact that it's just like another thing that we you know we're doing a lot and i feel like it's a whole nother thing i know people that have dabbled in it and don't dabble anymore because it's just trying to do a little bit of both i know people that have done it like exclusively and they don't do it anymore so i mean i know that some people really really like it kind of like section 8 which is government subsidized housing like It's a niche, but you got to be all in and you got to know all the rules about it and you got to really, really go hard at it and we just kind of like to keep things simple.
0: Got it. So everyone is a tenant. Mm -hmm. Um, And Dom Brandon wants to know, he just got his first deal on a contract. Congratulations, Dom. Uh, And he needs to get pictures from tenants, but what's the best way to go about getting pictures from a tenant-occupied property?
1: so he's wanting to buy a tenant occupied property uh it's probably trying to wholesale it trying to wholesale it yeah so that's tough wholesaling tenant occupied properties can be tough for sure so that's that's a lot of what we buy because no one else wants to mess with it and Mm -hmm. we're willing to do it so yeah i mean you need to get in the property i wouldn't buy even with pictures i wouldn't close on anything unless i've been in it um and kind of seeing so getting pictures analyze it, running your rough numbers, being conservative, and then I would get in there and make sure that everything's good and review the lease, talk to the tenant, um, all that kind of stuff. It can be done, it's just a few more steps, and you yeah. have a built-in tenant, but I would say 95% of the time, they're low on their rent, you know, market rate, so you gotta raise it up over time and figure that all out, but it can be done for sure.
0: Yep, uh, so here's a question from Lotto, uh, and before you answer it, Sam is not a certified accountant. Take his answer with a grain of salt. Uh, how is depreciation recaptured? How is depreciation recaptured? Talk to your CPA. <laughs> uh, I, well, I'm not
1: at that point yet, but yeah, I, I, I know when when you sell it. Um, usually, at some point, that is recaptured. Um, but that, that's all I know is when when you sell, it, it gets recaptured at that point.
0: So definitely not a
1: CPA. <laughs> I said the word recap I said the word recaptured.
0: <laughs> and Alex Zapita wants to know. Uh, what is the most important screening criteria for you when you're screening your tenants
1: probably the most important one would be talking to their um their existing or past landlord and getting like of course every once in a while you have someone that you can tell is they put their friend's number down but you can ask a couple simple questions and figure out pretty quick that that's the case so if they do that then there's no so they're no go right because they didn't give you their past landlord but talking to their past landlord or whoever runs that company or whatever the leasing agent is it really tells you they'll tell you the history of them because especially in St. Louis it's not a huge market. you don't want to have a reputation of just giving away you know or not being honest. So they're usually pretty honest and they'll tell you that's the number one thing. I mean, I wouldn't just do that. you got to kind of do the income verification, the background check, um, you know the credit score, all that kind of stuff. but the number one thing would for me would be talking to their past landlord
0: and getting really how they live, not how they say they live. Any funny stories in your screening conversations?
1: Yeah, we've had some some crazy stuff pop up. look I mean, like I said, I haven't done like any screening myself in several years. But I'm trying to think anything anything too crazy. I mean, we've had people with like, just say I've you know I've I've never been evicted before. They check that box, and literally they've had eight evictions in the past ten years. So um, oh, you were counting those? Yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> I did, I thought you meant like this year.
0: Yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, Leona King. Uh, so self-employed, new. They have 100k equity in their investment home. How would you go about pulling out the equity in your investment property
1: yeah so if you have the equity investment property you just need to talk to whatever bank you're wanting to to do the the cash out on or the refinance on and figure out what they want you know self-employed isn't always a bad thing especially if you you know we're self-employed but you know i have a steady income of w-2s coming in for multiple companies so self-employed is only tricky when it's like right away after you've been established it's not too bad but just talk to the bank some banks will have different rules or what they'll do or they what they won't do but they'll just give you you know a loan on the difference and give you how to cash
0: out refinance it's pretty simple They, they pretty much take care of all of it so all right and believe steve wants to know uh when you're working with a partner uh or how do you suggest working with a partner when you're starting out and neither of you have experience
1: yeah so i mean that's where that's where we were when i started out luke's and i knew i mean everybody starts out with no experience so like that's the definition of experience you know so that's where everyone starts so there's nothing wrong with that i would say the biggest thing is making sure it's the right partner making sure that you guys have established ground rules as you know are you friends before what does that look like does you know friendship come first like making sure you have those type of conversations and making sure there's kind of a a yin to your yang, like I'm a little bit more of the sales, marketing, negotiating, getting deals. Lucas is the operations, the systems, the processes, the engineer type. And at first we both did everything together and that was fun, that was cool, that was really fun starting a business with your best friend, but we weren't very efficient. So then we like, we divided and conquered and both went with our strengths and we were able to grow like crazy because I'll do all of that part of the business, he'll do all that part of the business. I'm not checking on what he's doing. He's not checking what I'm doing because we have that trust and we're really able to get traction. So I would say make sure they're the right partner first, and then you're gonna do you're gonna make a ton of mistakes on the way. Just figure it out together and and learn and then and grow and just be willing to Monday morning quarterback, go back and look at
0: the deals or what happened and make adjustments. Sounds like um, complementing each other mm-hmm. as far as skill sets important to you. Yes. That was my yin and my yang. So that was a better way of saying it. Got it. Uh, And Cornerstone Renovations wants to know, what type of marketing are you guys doing? I imagine she's talking about as far as sourcing properties.
1: Yeah, so we're doing, I mean, a little bit of all of it. We have TV commercials. uh, We do direct mail. We do driving for dollars. We have Facebook ads. um, SEO, which is search engine optimization, meaning someone types in, sell my house fast Phoenix. Those top, like, you know, five spots are super, super valuable. And it takes a lot of different time of having a website that's been verified and approved and has a bunch of backlinks so there's a lot that goes into it Um, and then you know we do a little bit of google adwords so we do a ton of different things but for new people i would suggest you don't you don't have to spend if you're looking to buy five to ten houses a year i wouldn't spend a dollar in marketing i would go out and network because you can you can spend 10 hours a month networking and fill that 10 houses
0: a year pretty easily. It's pretty amazing, right? If you just go out and talk to people, what you can do. Mm -hmm. Um, And then uh, Angel Q wants to know, when you're writing off depreciation repairs, you're not showing your income. So how are you financing your properties with long-term debt?
1: So not accounting again, but um, you know, the banks know what to look for, that's it you have your gross what you're making and then it depreciates from there and then it gets to you know what you're actually paying taxes on they know to look at the top of the line and see how much money you made they know to look and see how much you made before depreciation I was just sending talking about that business insider article earlier I sent that over to um to them and you know explained our you know we have $330,000 of depreciation just so you know go to this line this column just so you see that, so you know, you look at the income amount, it's not super impressive, but add back that 330, and that's what the rentals have done um, this year. So it's, it's kind of just, you know, a way to, uh, you know, the, the, they're smart enough to know that you're gonna try to not show that much income
0: so you don't pay taxes. Is that similar to stated income ones? Maybe. 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 Uh, so, stated income loans, right? I mean, we had that whole crisis in 2008, right? Okay. They made that big movie, The Big Short, whatever. I just watched it the other day. That's yeah. a, I understand it now. When I watched it, when everyone yeah. came out, didn't understand it. Now I understand it. Now it makes sense. Uh, so, you know, stated income was one of the things that caused everyone to get into trouble because you had a W two, and you could tell the bank this is how much you're really making. Mm-hmm. Stated income was originally designed for people that were self employed. Okay. So it sounds kind of like you're saying, "Here's my real income. Like I know my W two, my 1040 says this, but here's my real income."
1: Yeah, but it's not like and I heard stories of it's not like whiting it out and just making up a number It's a legit number that, that can be verified <laughs> that that's how much rent you've collected because they can look at all the properties and see How much you have them making an income. So
0: yeah uh, Lotto wants to know also, how do you know when to offer deals that come into your teams? I guess maybe how much to offer on those deals or how does I guess how does that work when your teams team interested in buying your deals?
1: yeah so like as far as like us buying deals off the team that the the deals are coming from the other buyers
0: yeah so you you know uh, faster house mm-hmm. right Is just finished renovating it
1: mm-hmm.
0: how does that process work from faster house finishing it to everyone in your office getting to review that deal before you push it out
1: okay so we only sell houses to the team before we renovate so we're not going to renovate for you so you we it comes in we're going to wholesale it out to the public you guys got first shot at it do you want it go run your numbers You know if we don't want it you know you guys we don't take every good deal obviously want the team to get some but then they they make the choice to buy it before it's rehabbed and then so it's just kind of a whoever offers the best fairest terms and you know is okay with not you know not our biggest every deal so so it's
0: it's not a writer first refusal it's not like sam's looking at this and then phil's looking at it it's makes the best offer.
1: Yeah, pretty much. I mean, we have like, a, cause we don't want to get sticky, but everyone does have that mindset of abundance. There is kind of a order of operations that it goes to and kind of owners at the top of that owners. So yeah. um we could, but we, I mean, we don't grab every deal, but it's more of, you know, not everybody's looking to do, you know, five deals a month. Like we are everybody just, you know, a handful a year or 10 mm-hmm. a year. And it just, it just kind of seems to work out because of that, that mindset that we talked about earlier.
0: Yeah. Uh, so Kai Nguyen on YouTube also wants to know, uh, I've done a few wholesale deals, but now I want to get a rental. I out a rental property first, or Airbnb first. So I, I have,
1: I haven't gone the Airbnb route. Um, I'm, I think we're going to dip into that maybe next year or later this year when kind of some of this other purchases we've been doing settles, but I think it's whatever you want to do. I think the, um, Both of them have their positives and negatives. Airbnb, I would definitely suggest hiring that management out. It's just way more hands-on. Tenants moving in and out all the time. Very
0: active work. That's not passive income.
1: Well, unless you're hiring it out. Unless you're hiring it out. Yeah. yeah. So you get more income with Airbnb's, but it's a lot more work. You have to furnish it. You have to keep it. You know. So I would probably suggest just the long-term rental. But I mean, that's not saying that's the right answer. Just because that's what I know and that's what I feel I'm comfortable with doesn't mean that's something that you have to do. But I love that they're wholesaling. Want to get
0: into rentals? That's that's exciting. Well, that's the next logical step. So, mm-hmm. uh, Robert Sturble's asking a question about good modeler of cash flows. Is there a good modeler of cash flows? Do you understand that question? Like um, like a model to use for cash flow maybe? Like a cash flow formula? Yeah. Robert, can you restate that question? I'm, I'm having a hard time understanding it. Uh, John Clash on YouTube wants to know, what are common terms for longer term private money loans?
1: So longer term, so most private lenders aren't going to loan long term. They want to get their money in and out in like six months, you know, maybe eight months, something like that. But like longer term private, you know, you can kind of have it however you want. You know, owner financing is an option. It's kind of like having a private lender, but that money that that private lender that is most likely going to want to give you, they're going to want to have back. They're not going to want to give you two hundred thousand dollars and get paid off over the next ten years. I mean, maybe, but I would say. A huge majority of private lenders are just going to want to get in and out, and you know, especially at first.
0: So it's a little bit—it's a little bit like active income for them.
1: Yeah, yeah, it is. And so that long-term private lending isn't isn't a super common term, and, and I, I don't know a ton of them that do it that way.
0: Right. Um, and then the friendly investors wants to know: Does credit score come into play when you're doing your burrs? Oh yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. So you don't have to have like an 800 credit score. I usually
1: tell people mid 600s is, is probably good enough. So if you have a credit score below that. Your options are, you know, wholesale and and you know, fix and flip, and you know, pay a company to raise your credit score essentially, or partner with someone with a good credit score. A lot of people do that. A lot of people with credit score is you know the high five hundreds. They're going to partner with somebody. I'll find the deals. I'll source. Them, I'll do everything. You know, you kind of bring your money and your brain to the table, and, and we'll partner on the rent. We'll split everything fifty fifty. A year or two down the line your credit score is up and you guys can separate your partnership and have 10 rentals together or you can continue to grow together if it worked out so if you really need rentals right now don't have that credit score you're probably going to have to partner with somebody
0: yeah and enrique Benton wants to know should you take a conventional loan out for a bank to do a burr or should you stick with finding an investor to front the money first
1: yeah so you you can't take a conventional loan out with the bank to do the burr so at the beginning they're gonna you're gonna have to use an investor's money at first banks won't, don't want anything to do with properties that need work. Even like the riskier banks that you know will take on deals that they're not going to want to lend you a hundred thousand dollars on a house you know that needs fifty thousand dollars worth of work. They're going to lend you what it's you know a percentage of what it's worth after it's fixed up and rented. They want to see income coming in. They want to know that their money's going to get
0: their bank's notes going to get paid. Right. Um, and then you've got you know several a couple hundred properties. Kai wants to know. Are you keeping it in different llc's one llc what is your structure yeah so i think the structure
1: is one of those things where there's i don't know if there's a right or wrong answer we just kind of do what other people i know have done and, and what our cpa is comfortable with so about every 40 to 50 houses we start an llc so wap properties owns um like 55 houses and then wap assets owns like 35 houses and then we just started another llc so every 30 to 50 houses we're starting an llc and then every big deal owns its own llc so all of our apartment complexes each has its own llc in our storage facilities so like if it's a big enough deal we'll start an llc just for that deal and then every 30 to 50 houses we'll start a new llc just kind of keeps the books a little bit separate just doesn't have, we're not going to start an LLC for every property. Some people do. I think technically, that's the, the safest way to do it is to have every single property have its own LLC and own bank account. But that's, that's not worth it, in my opinion. So just nightmare. Yeah. Did
0: you name your LLC after a rap song?
1: yeah i did no we're actually suing cardi b because she took our name um that wap wap all that stuff was it was such a bad name because so many even before the cardi b song came out so many different people you know the the italian thing which isn't even that's wop so all that spelled differently it's it's not even the same thing it it was walls and prim is what we did it because wp properties was taken when we were set up at LegalZoom at the bar before a softball game, several beers deep, just WP properties were taken. So we did WAP, not even thinking. That was like 2014. So the song came out six years later. So it was not mm-hmm. linked. Have but you anyway, sent her a
0: trademark or it, yeah, we, cease, and we, and we, yeah,
1: cease and desist? Yeah, cease we're, and desist. We're Midwest Property Group now. We changed our name. Midwest <laughs> Property Group is what our tenant knows us as, not WAP anymore. <laughs> uh, Gary Mejia wants to know, how much money are you putting down for private loans? Um, none. None. I mean, that's how most private loans work. I get that a lot. Like a hard money lender, private money lender will want me to have skin in the game. Some will for sure at first, but maybe you do it first, but then you'll get it back when you refinance. But as you start to develop a relationship and equity with that lender, they will probably won't require any, if not a little bit. I don't really know any private lenders that do. A lot of hard money lenders will ask for 10% down. but. If it's a screaming deal and they feel like you've wholesaled and you're comfortable, if you got it under contract for 150 and it needs 30 grand and it's worth 300, they probably are going to finance all of it because they're you know it, a lot of it's going to focus on the quality of the deal for hard money lenders. Private money lenders, most of them don't really even understand the deal, so they're just going to trust you. But hard money lenders will probably want some skin in the game. But if it's a screaming deal, they might bend the rules because they want to lend. That's yeah, like that's, they that was the deal we had
0: just very recently. So uh, we bought a deal. The property is worth like three hundred or something. We bought it for fifty thousand, and they didn't ask for any down payment. They're yeah. very, they're very generous. Oh, yeah,
1: they're like, okay, yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, Williams Cast wants to know: Do you recommend getting a HELOC for a personal, free and clear home to buy investment properties?
1: Yes, I would say so. I get that a lot: HELOC or cash out. It really kind of depends on if you can actively use that money. I'm um, getting a um, a cash out refinance. You're going to, you know, have a little less interest. So if you if you got uh, places to put that money, a refinance is great. If you don't, HELOC's the next best thing because you're not paying any interest when you're when you're not using it. Interest rates usually a little bit higher. But I think having HELOC on a paid off house is incredible. You can use some of that to put down if a lender wants 10% down or you can finance the rehab with that. Um, and then, you know, get it back when you refinance.
0: Um, and then Justin on YouTube wants to know, can you explain the process and paperwork when you're using private money?
1: Yeah. So there there's kind of four main things you're gonna want with the private money lender and I would suggest um, using these the private lender because they're going to be this is a comfort level to them and it protects both of you. So the first one that we always do is you personally guarantee it. Even though it's an LLC, you're personally guaranteeing that's your skin in the game right there. Even if you know this property fails, I'm still going to personally make sure that the money gets to you. They're going to get listed as additional insured. So if the property burns down they, the check goes out to you and them. And then they're gonna have a, the the other biggest one is they're gonna be, you know they can either have a mortgage lien or be listed on the deed as part owner. So that's kind of the paperwork to really, really secure them and make them feel comfortable. The other one is you can kind of do like a promissory note with your LLC. So those are kind of the four main, main terms. And, and there's a million of those out there. Google personal guarantees, probably have a lawyer review it, but like that, all that stuff's paperwork's pretty simple. Um, the additional insured thing, you just tell the insurance agent to put them and this address
0: on as additional Yeah, I've heard that easy. before. So that's really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then how do you make things fair with a 50 50 partner? Yeah, you
1: just, that goes into making sure it's the right partner and making sure you guys understand. There's times where um, Lucas carries 80% of the load on our rentals because I'm doing something and trying to grow this education thing. I feel like he's doing that now. And I feel like there's times where I've kind of carried the load. So just not, it, not, doing tick for tack or not, you know, counting every little every little score, keeping score of every little thing that happens, just understanding what you're growing together, having a similar mindset and just knowing that overall it's all gonna, you know, at the end of all of this, we'll have each done about half of our share. And if one of us done a little bit more, that's okay.
0: Yeah. And how much running all of this, everything, how much are you spending a month? On? Faster house, faster freedom. WAP <laughs> i don't know anything about WAP anymore um so uh faster faster house
1: is the big is the most overhead and like i said i'm very removed from that company so but i i do know that we're our overheads anywhere between 80 to hundred thousand a month in faster house um which is pretty good you know considering a lot of the income we're bringing in and a lot of that overhead is you know office and paying people and a lot of most of our everybody gets paid off a percentage of the deal so that's not even overhead and then faster faster freedom is probably 15 to 20 grand a month in overhead and then um our rent or our um, property management companies are probably 15 or 20 so 150 grand a month to 200 grand a month probably and expenses going out of out the door
0: got it and you're always bragging about how much debt you have yes i am because it's good debt what where, where are you at right now uh 13 million 13 million in debt man all right what is your why
1: my why is i mean the family is why but like having my why is it's having an impact i'm wanting that's why working for somebody else i wasn't able to create enough impact having impact on my family first and foremost for sure but having an impact like on the world and having an impact on my daughter Maisie's great great grandkids like being able to impact my family for 200 years, 100 years, whatever it is, people talking about, you know, kind of what I've been able to build, not just the money that I'm going to be able to hand down, but the, the that he went for it, that he did it, that he was successful, like maybe motivating them to go after their dreams and not just be a cog in the wheel. So just having that impact on my family directly and then indirectly down the line, but then also being able to impact the world and have like your name kind of be known for a long time. That's the social media's part of that. We just started a 5013C. We're like, you know, with Collective Genius, we are raised a lot of money, but we're going to raise over 100 grand in our first year as a 513C. That's pretty good. Um, that's awesome. So being able to impact the world that way and just be able to, to help more people. So just impact, I guess, is, is the one word to not give the generic my family. They are, but to kind of give you a little more context than
0: just my family. And what are you struggling with the most right now?
1: <sighs> probably, um, not probably, uh, struggling the most with right now in general, is is you know monetizing the education, but to get deeper than that is uh, me personally is just being um, being present is very very difficult for me, and just taking in what's going on right now and and being present when I'm doing things and you know not always looking ahead and not always looking for more is, is hard for me to just kind of appreciate what's going on. Stopping to smell of the roses is very difficult
0: for me. <laughs> what are you doing to fix it?
1: Um, I just I just started, a or I just joined a, a weekly mastermind um, that's about like growing healthy, happy um, healthy happy lives. My wife's actually in it. She doesn't do any of that kind of stuff ever. So every Wednesday at 11 now, we're on a joint call with other people talking about um, our lives and our businesses and our family. So trying to kind of help be present with that and then just talking with her about it. So I'm taking action on it and journaling. I, I journaled on um, Friday night, like supposed to journal every day. Then my backpack haven't opened up since then, so I got. <laughs> you're supposed to journal every day, but I started. I just got to get back to it. But it's um, close. You're close. Yeah, I'm you're, al- you're almost
0: there. Taking baby steps, right? Yeah. We're going in the right direction. Uh, so Robert I actually posted in the Facebook uh, video is um, the modeler is basically the amortization schedule as well as um, you know determining I guess what the return on investment and so on. So yeah,
1: we've we've, we've created our own, um, and it's it's a really really robust calculator that you take. Um, a rehab calculator you put all the rehab in it calculates your entire rehab including your holding costs your owning costs your utilities all that and then it pushes it to the max allowable formula and then that pushes the cash flow so we, we have a, a huge robust calculator that's like six tabs wide that we that we use to do it that you get if you do the mentorship that's that's not a giveaway giveaway a lot for free not that one
0: yeah and what is your superpower
1: um probably i would say having a competitive mindset of abundance Because I feel like a lot of people are competitive and they want to step on your throat and I win, you lose. That's the only way this works, you know, never, you know, never split the difference kind of a mindset. Mm -hmm. And then a lot of people are like, uh, have that mindset of abundance and they kind of get stepped on and then, you know, people kind of take advantage of them. So I'm extremely competitive, but I don't want you to fail for me to win. Like, I want to have more Instagram followers than you. I just, I want yours to grow. I just want mine to grow faster. So Mm -hmm. I just being able to have a very, very competitive nature, but understand that there's enough out there for everybody. I feel like that is, I wouldn't call it rare. I'm not trying to say that, but it, it, usually the people that are super, super competitive don't have that mindset of abundance. And usually people that have mindset abundance aren't really competitive. It's like, ah, whatever. So just having a, a pretty decent mixture of both, I think yeah. really helps me um, truly want to be better, but truly want others to be
0: better as well. So the gauntlet's been laid down here. You and I are having a competition okay, to figure out who's more abundant. Okay. <laughs> so let this be the record. Uh, what's the greatest lesson you've learned? The greatest lesson I've learned, I don't know if that was on the sheet
1: before, but um, no, I'm kidding. The greatest lesson I've learned um, is probably that the more, and, it, and it's true, it sounds corny, but the, literally the more that you give, the more you get. It sounds completely counterintuitive. The more information I give for free. like I could charge you for this, but the more I give it out for free, the more willing I am to just give away calculators, give away information, respond to everybody on Instagram for free and answer questions that people charge a lot of money. The more I do that, the more you start to make money, the more doors open, the more you know, the more avenues to create revenue just seem to come around. So it it sounds a little woo-woo and a little bit corny, but it's true, the more you give, the more you get. If you try to hold all your information right here, you're just not gonna reach your full potential.
0: Yeah, and I think that's a a great lesson. Uh, We actually had Sean Terry out here on the show, I wanna say like two years ago now, but that was, he had that same thing. He's like, wow, if I have a podcast and I just talk about what's working for me, Life just gets better and better and better. Mm-hmm. And he actually challenged me on that show. I was like, has that been the same for you too? it's like, actually, yeah, it has been. Mm-hmm. So yep. that's 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 a wonderful lesson. Again, that goes back to the abundance. Yep. But I'm still more abundant than you. We'll uh, see about that.
1: I'm, <laughs> I'm competitive that I'm more abundant than you. All right, how much money? Let's
0: write a check I'm kidding last time. Uh, so last question. Is there a book that you've gifted more than any other?
1: Book that I've gifted more than any other? probably not. I kind of have my, my main three that I really like to... To push people, at least the main two, each, you know, obviously the rich poor dad, and the i um, think and grow rich are kind of the the big ones that I really like to push people to. Um, I really like the secret. I'm sure you, you're aware of that one. And then eat that frog is one that I really, really like. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Was that before you left Caterpillar or when you were at Caterpillar? Um, as far as all those books? Eat That Frog. Eat That Frog was, you know that book, right? Yeah, Brian Tracy. Yeah, okay,
1: yeah. Eat That Frog was probably right around when I was quitting. Probably, it's been three or four years, I need to reread it, so probably right around when I was quitting, I really, I don't know why I like that book so much, but I do.
0: It's a powerful lesson, and a lot of people need to be aware of it, right? Mm -hmm. It's like if you just do the most difficult thing first, then life just gets a lot easier.
1: Yeah, I've, First thing how, in the morning. How many people do that? You push off the most difficult thing to the end of the day. And then I'll get
0: to it when I get to it. You either
1: don't do it or when you do it, you just rush through it and half-ass it. But if you do it at the beginning of the day, A, the most important thing's done, and B, it's a high, you're on door, like the rest of the day is kind of downhill. So
0: yep, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, so I want you to think about what you want to leave the listeners with mm-hmm. uh, while I make a few quick announcements. Uh, guys, if you got value today, please like, subscribe, share, comment, it helps us, helps us reach more people. We can continue to make more impacts. And we do have our all-day sales training. It's three weeks from now. If you're interested, go to disruptors.com sales training. It's on our sales training. You have sales training.
1: Yep. Sales training. yep. We have, like I said, we have four full-time acquisition guys and three part-time acquisition guys, and they're on Steve's training every single week. And that's one of the reasons we buy more houses and we buy houses deeper is because we have
0: an understanding of the sales process and our crazy, crazy sales guys understand it. That's awesome. Um, and then next week, tune in. We got Fernando Angelucci. He's coming in to talk about self-storage. I think he's our first self-storage guy. Mm-hmm. So I'm actually uh, really excited to learn about that because uh, you can make money with a rental and depreciate without dealing with human beings. Yes, yes. <laughs> All right. So what are some last thoughts you want to leave the listeners with?
1: Um, the biggest one is, is don't be afraid of debt that is the only way that i know to realistically realistically make your impact and create financial freedom you're not going to create financial freedom which is in my opinion is creating enough passive income every month to you know exceed your expenses you're not going to do that if you're actively work for somebody else that's the difference in active and passive just don't be afraid of debt Unless you're inheriting millions of dollars or your last name's the name of somebody that owns a company, you're not going to create financial freedom generational wealth unless you go into debt. So don't be scared of debt. Don't do it in a dumb way. But if you understand how to leverage debt, your life will change in an instant. It really will. If you understand how to properly leverage debt, you can
0: create wealth and a lot sooner than you think. How can someone get a hold of you?
1: Um, just TikTok, YouTube, and Instagram, same faster freedom, same same handle. I'm much more active on the Instagram messenger, but I would appreciate a follow on all three. They all three kind of fit different niches as far as what type of content I can produce because of the platform. And I feel like they're all very, very valuable and, and uh, entertaining and educational.
0: And what I can say is I, I think of all the people that I work with, you know, are, am connected with, you are giving away the most free game on TikTok of anyone. Mm-hmm. So for sure, for sure. Follow you on TikTok. It's
1: got the most followers. Yeah, it's that mindset of just putting it
0: out there. Yeah. So There's more free game
1: there. It's unbelievable. We give it all for free, and we've had the most signups this last month and on, uh, ever in our, in our mentorship that we have. Obviously, I give away free stuff. I have a paid mentorship for people that want it. The more I give away, the more people pay me to teach them the next level stuff. So it's yeah. that mindset thing.
0: Awesome. Thank you very much. It's an absolute blast. Thank you guys for watching.